0: following message was given at Emmanuel Baptist Church, Coconut Creek, Florida. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you today for the opportunity to open up your Holy Word together and to minister your Word. And we are very much aware of our weakness and our great need of your Spirit. So we pray that you would grant the help of your Spirit, that we would uh, know his power at work through his word in our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the last several weeks, we've been talking about the subject of forgiveness. What a wonderful word the word forgiveness is. It's a word that's often taken for granted. We don't value the forgiveness of God unless until God really awakens us to The dreadfulness and the wretchedness of our sinfulness and then the thought of forgiveness becomes a very precious thing. Uh, The confession of the uh, Apostles' Creed, I believe in the forgiveness of sin. It's not easy to believe in the forgiveness. It's easy to believe in the forgiveness of sin when you don't think you've really been a very bad person and you haven't sinned very much. But when you're awakened to your sinfulness, it's very difficult to believe and to confess, I believe that God forgives sin. And many of us have experienced uh, the forgiveness of God in our lives. And that experience of God's forgiveness is intended to be reflected in our relationships and in our interactions and our attitudes one an- toward one another as we are to also be forgiving toward one another. And that's what we've been addressing for the last several weeks from this text in Luke chapter 17. So let me read these two verses uh, together. Jesus says, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day, returns to you saying, I repent, uh, you shall forgive him. So our key text for the last several messages has been this text I just read. First, Jesus speaks of the activity of confronting one another in love. If your brother sins against you, uh, rebuke him. And this was the focus of the first message. Then in the second message, we consider the second part of the response our Lord requires, the duty of forgiving one another. Jesus says, if he repent, forgive him. And I asked and answered two questions as we sought to open up what Jesus says here. The first question is, when must we forgive others? And the answer Jesus gives is only and always and immediately upon repentance. And we saw that there is a distinction, a very important distinction, between a disposition that is ready to forgive and desiring to forgive, which we are to have at all times, and the actual act of granting forgiveness itself. The actual granting of forgiveness is only to occur where there is repentance. If he repents, forgive him. On the other hand, when a brother comes to us saying, I repent, that is, he comes acknowledging his sin against us, asking for forgiveness, we are to forgive him immediately. And we are always to do that no matter how many times he has sinned against us. Verse 4, and if he sins against you seven times in the day, and seven times in the day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And then we took up a second question. What then does it mean to forgive My brother. And we saw that the foundation of forgiveness is being ready to forgive and desiring to forgive, which again, we are always uh, to be. But this is not what forgiveness is in and of itself. When God forgives, what does He do? He doesn't just sit in heaven and feel something, He makes a promise. He tells us that He has forgiven us in His Word, a promise that our sins and iniquities He will remember no more. Against us, and we saw that this means uh, this is what it means to forgive someone when a brother who has sinned against you comes to you and says, "Will you please forgive me to forgive means that you verbally respond to that co- request, and you tell him something along these lines, "Yes, I forgive you," and you understand that what that means is that you are promising to never hold it against him again and then last week, uh, we looked at matthew five twenty three to twenty four at the other side of the coin, as it were. Uh, The focus, focus was on seeking forgiveness when I am the offender, being quick to ask forgiveness when we are aware we have sinned against our brother. Well, that's a very quick review of what was covered in great detail in the last three sermons. And if you didn't hear those, you can go online and listen to them and catch up. Now, what I plan to do this morning is a little bit different. I'm not going to be actually expounding a particular text of Scripture, But this spins off of the expositions that have been given already of Luke 17 passage and the Matthew passage. And I want to take up what I'm calling uh, cases of conscience or questions that people often have about forgiveness. And I've been very helped. A lot of this material is not original with me, but I've drawn heavily from a couple of different sources. One is J. Adams who I think is very helpful with some of these kinds of questions, and then also from just thinking through some of the questions that some of you have actually asked me in response to the last three messages. And so we're going to take up some questions. And the first question today is this. If I have forgiven someone, does that mean there is absolutely no context in which it is ever proper to bring up again his or her sin? No context in which it's ever proper to do that. Now, we have seen that the essence of forgiveness is a promise to remember that person's sin no longer. That is, in the sense, to no longer remember it against them or to hold it against them. Not the same as forgetting. You remember, we can't necessarily control that aspect. To, but to, the, the idea of, of, of the language of not remembering it against them is no longer holding, them, holding it against them. But now, does that mean that there's never any context which is proper to talk to them about it? Well, here we need to make a careful distinction. There are occasions in which it may be good and necessary to do that if we are careful about the way we do it. And let me explain. Think, for example, of counseling situations uh, that are the purpose is to help fortify a person against committing the same sins in the future. A man may have a problem in an area, he keeps falling in, or his sin may be something that's very severe and grievous, and he's asked forgiveness and you forgive him, but this may be such a repeated problem or a problem of such a serious nature that there's need to get help and counseling from a pastor or from some other Christian. Well, you see, in that context of counseling, these forgiven sins may need to be brought up and explored by the counselor in an effort to help the brother or the brother brethren that are involved to be better able to resist such sins in the future. And this sometimes needs to be done in marriage counseling, for example. And also sometimes parents need to do this with their children. In fact, I thought a very good question somebody asked me was, uh, you, know, you know, what if your child, you, you're dealing with a problem, maybe your child is talking back to his mom a lot, and he comes and asks forgiveness, and this is a pattern, is it wrong for you, to, ever, you know, to, have, to talk to him about it? Can he say, well, Dad, you forgave me, you're not supposed to talk to me about this problem that I have. Well, no, again, you're, you're, you're trying to help your son overcome a repeated issue in his life. That doesn't mean you haven't forgiven him when he's asked forgiveness in terms of the personal offense. Jay Adams gives this example in the realm of counseling. Picture a husband and wife in whose marriage there's been a great deal of bickering. Each has forgiven the other, especially for the last episode, which was so intense it drove them to counseling. Now they are working with their pastor who's trying to discover what sorts of things they quarrel over, how the quarrels began, and so forth, and in this way, he can help them structure their relationship against future altercations. Well, if in that context, past sins that have been forgiven are brought up by the husband or wife, does that mean then the promise of forgiveness has been broken? Well, you see, it depends. It really depends upon the manner in which they're brought up and the spirit in which they're brought up. If they're brought up in a spirit of anger, and vindictiveness, or in a hurtful way, then the line has been crossed. But if they're brought up only in a helpful way, not to beat the person over the head, again, with sins he or she has already confessed and asked forgiveness for, but only in a way of trying to help them to avoid and to overcome those sins in the future. That's something different, you see. When brought up in that way, that doesn't mean that you haven't forgiven the person. And this can be true between... Brothers, one on one, sometimes. You remember the illustration I used uh, several times. Uh, several times of the guy who keeps stomping on your toes. You remember that. Well, let's say that ten times in the last two weeks, he's lost his temper and he's flattened your toes, and ten times he's come back to you and he has asked you to please forgive him. He's confessed to you that he's been struggling with anger. And has this problem. He realizes it's a problem. He needs to deal with this. When he loses his temper, he starts stomping around. And people's toes get flattened. Please forgive me, he says. And you forgive him. Well, let's say you've been praying for your brother that God will help him to overcome this problem. And you have an idea. Sure, you go to him and you say, Brother, so and so, I was thinking about this problem you keep having of stomping on my toes. Perhaps it might be a good idea to begin to ask yourself why do i keep having this problem is there perhaps some unresolved bitterness in your heart or something else that's making it so difficult for you to exercise self-control in this area or i've been noticing lately that you've been working long hours and you haven't been uh, getting very you've been getting very little sleep could that perhaps be contributing to your problem and also, I was thinking that while you're still trying to deal with this thing, maybe in the future you could clap your hands when you lose your temper instead of stomping your feet. If you did that, it might save my toes. Uh, a lot of pain. Oh, he says, I thought you forgave me. And to forgive means that you promise to never remember my sin against me anymore. Yes, and I do forgive you, brother, and I have for, forgiven you completely and fully. I'm just trying to help you to avoid doing the same thing over and over again in the future. Now, would that mean that you're not really forgiving that brother if you gave him some advice like that? No, of course not, especially if you do it in the right heart attitude, in the right spirit. If indeed the advice is given in a gracious way, with a genuine purpose to help your brother, not with a spirit of resentment or with a purpose to, uh, to hurt or to keep holding the sin against him, then that's perfectly legitimate to do that. But let's move on now to a second question. Are there any limits to the forgiveness I am to give to others upon their repentance? Are there any limits? We've seen that I am always and immediately to forgive others upon their repentance. If they come to me, even if they sin seven times in the day, and they come back to me and say, will you please forgive me? I am to forgive them. And in that sense, there are no limitations to the forgiveness I am to give. But there is a sense, and there are certain ways in which the forgiveness that I do completely give may be qualified, or should sometimes be qualified. And I want to point to two ways. All right? First of all, though I must always forgive the personal injury upon repentance, I may not always be able to remit damages owed to me. Or it may not always be loving and wise to do that. Okay? I may forgive the personal injury upon repentance, but I may not always be able to remit damages owed to me or necessary consequences. It may not always be loving and wise to do so. Let's think about a lot of you guys get together and play basketball sometime. So let's imagine you've kind of, we've divided up into teams here and you've got a turn, you know, this ongoing Basketball season—you you you go out there and play together, and I know it can get pretty competitive with some of you guys uh, playing basketball together. And let's imagine that you're playing together, and uh, you know the game is really intense, and somebody makes a play and wins the game, and there's a little bit of aggravation, and this one guy loses his temper. Maybe it was Josiah, I don't know. But one of the one of the what (laughs) a. (laughs) <laughs> uh, you have to be there to know why I said that. Anyway, and, <laughs> and he pushes somebody, and they fall down and break their arm. Okay, it's a compound fracture. Later, they have to go to the doctor. They get a doctor's bill. It's a pretty hefty bill, and maybe he doesn't have very good insurance to cover it, and Later, uh, whoever it was, they feel really bad about what they've done and uh, they go over to this brother's house, they knock on the door and they say, Brother so-and-so, will you please forgive me? Okay, so that's the situation. These two or three days pass by, the guy who broke your arm comes over to my my arm, he comes over to my house, and he says, Jeff, I'm really sorry about what I did. It was foolish, it was wrong, will you please forgive me? Now, should I forgive that man of his sin against me? Yes, I should, and I must. But depending on the situation, it may not be wise to remit damages, and it may not be the loving and the best thing to do for the guy's own good. I may know that this guy has a good job. I may know he does this kind of thing a lot to other people. And it might do him some good to have to work a little bit over time, perhaps, if necessary. And in light of the fact, perhaps, that I can't afford it, I don't have very good insurance, uh, let's say, I may truly forgive the guy, and yet I might also say, and by the way, here's the bill. Please pay. And the fact that I've done that does not mean that I didn't forgive him. It doesn't mean that at all. And by the way, if you're the guy who broke the brother's arm, then you ought to come to him asking forgiveness, and you ought to come expressing the desire to pay the doctor bill, if there's one, to make restitution. But again, if you're the one who was sinned against, it does not mean you are not forgiving if you ask the man to pay your doctor bill. Now, on the other hand, love may say, I'm pretty well off right now, I can afford this bill. I have good insurance. I know this man is relatively poor. He's struggling to get by. So I'll not ask for the damages. Or even if he offers, I'll insist on covering them myself. Not only will I blot out his injury against me and forgive him, I will also blot out the cost of the damages or any consequences for what he did. But you see, the guy who requires the damages to be paid is not necessarily any less forgiving than the guy who does not require that the damages be paid. You guys follow what I'm saying? It's an important principle that just because a man is made to endure certain consequences of his sin, one of my boys, let's say, throws his baseball through the back window and I've told them time and time again not to throw the ball in the backyard and he comes and asks for forgiveness and I forgive him, but I may also say, okay, you're going to have to do this extra work for the next month around the house to, to pay off... Uh, what it's going to cost us to have to repair that window. That doesn't mean I didn't forgive him. It's important. We we see illustrations of this in the Bible. For instance, what about David? You remember David when he sinned terribly in the matter with Bathsheba and, and her husband Uriah? And later his heart is smitten by the words of the prophet Nathan, and he's brought to repentance. And immediately God tells Nathan to say to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. David, God has forgiven you. But God also tells Nathan to tell David that because of what he has done, the sword will never depart from his house and the child who was born to him from Bathsheba will surely die. The sin was of such a heinous nature and and, as to give the enemies of God occasion to blaspheme. And therefore, though God had forgiven David, there were certain consequences of his sin that he was required to endure. He lost the child, and the remaining history of his family was tremendously affected by what he had done. So are we to draw the conclusion that God did not really forgive David? You know, I don't think God really forgave David. If he forgave him, why all this? No, that's wrong. That's, that's unbalanced in biblical thinking. God did forgive David, but sometimes there are temporal consequences for our sin. And God doesn't always remove those consequences. And that should be a deterrent for us from sinning. Sometimes this is the case, that even though God will graciously and fully forgive our sins, and those we have sinned may forgive our sins, we may still live with the consequences some of the consequences of those sins, temporally speaking, for the rest of our life. And the fact that we may be enduring certain painful consequences resulting from our sins is no argument against the fact that God has forgiven us of those sins just as much as he has forgiven us of those sins for which we are not suffering any temporal consequences. So, you see, I must always forgive the personal injury against me upon repentance, but I may not always be able to remit damages. It may not always be the wise thing to do or even the loving thing to remit damages, even if I could. And there, are, there's also the matter of trust. There are some things that can so damage trust. It doesn't mean you don't forgive the person, but there, there are consequences. For example, let's think of a pastor. Uh, sadly, we hear this kind of thing from time to time. A pastor who is who has violated the trust of the congregation by getting involved in an adulterous relationship. And this man may repent, he may ask forgiveness, but should he remain as a pastor of the church? No. There are consequences there. Or there could be in a marriage situation where there's been physical abuse. Or there's been sexual unfaithfulness, repeated sexual unfaithfulness, and, and maybe at some point... Uh, The person guilty of this repents and they ask forgiveness, but that still may mean that the two people, the the other person may desire not to be married to them any longer and there's nothing sinful about that because there are biblical grounds for divorce. And that person may later forgive that spouse for the things that they did, but that doesn't mean they have to get, you know, restore the marriage relationship together. You follow me? Now sometimes that can happen, but it doesn't always happen. It doesn't always have to happen. Sometimes... it probably shouldn't happen, okay? All right, a second qualification of our forgiveness of others is that you and I cannot always, nor should we always, forgive the debt which is owed to the righteous laws of society. According to Romans 13, 1 Peter chapter 2, God has established civil government to punish evildoers and to praise those who do well. And civil government is responsible for the maintenance of social justice and the upholding of the laws which regulate the relationships between men to men. And there's a distinction to be made between my personal attitude and reaction to those who wrong me and a concern that civil justice be exacted upon that one who may have wronged me when his behavior is a threat. society. Behavior that the civil law condemns, and by doing so is intended by God to restrain evil in the society. Let me borrow an illustration. Let's imagine I'm the owner of a business in town, and one day a man walks in with a gun. He demands that I hand over all the money in the cash register, and I do, and then he runs away. Two days later, he's caught. He's arrested by the police, And now we've recovered the money, the damages have been taken care of, and sometime before the trial, the man who robbed me comes to me and asks me to please forgive him for what he did. And I forgive him. I say, I forgive you. But he's still broken the law of the land, and when it comes time for the trial, I'm summoned as a witness. Now, I may believe this man has truly repented, And I may have forgiven him, but on the witness stand, I must tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And it's my testimony that sends him to prison for ten years. Should I feel guilty about that? You say, that wasn't a very forgiving thing to do. No, again, it has nothing to do with whether or not I have forgiven the man. I can forgive the man the personal injury, But I cannot always forgive the debt which is owing to the righteous laws of society. Now, it may be if they ask me whether or not I want to press charges, I may say no. It depends. What I know about the man's past, history, and maybe he's been a serial thief. I may say no, I may say yes. But it may, it may be that I, even if I have forgiven him I say yes and I'm not sinning if I do because the desire to see the laws of the land upheld and enforced for the betterment of society and the protection of others does not mean that I'm guilty of taking personal revenge. Nor does it mean that I've not forgiven the personal injury done to me and I can even express love. I can go visit him in prison. Try to witness to him and try to reach out to the man. But... That doesn't mean I didn't forgive him in terms of the personal injury. What, what if a drunk driver runs over one of my children and kills him or her? Well, there's no contradiction between me saying that I really genuinely hope and I am praying that this man will repent. I'm praying that this man will get saved, or with me even forgiving this man if he repents, and yet at the same time approving of the judgment of the court when they send him to prison for reckless homicide. Especially if he's been arrested numbers of times for driving under the influence. There's no contradiction there. There's no contradiction between a readiness to forgive, a desire to forgive on the one hand, and a desire for civil justice to be done in the God-appointed way by the enforcement of the righteous laws of society. And so often, we don't understand that distinction. I can be... I can be a judge on a bench, and I may forgive a man a personal offense that he's done toward me, but and at the same time condemn him in terms of civil justice, you see, according to the law of the land. And so we need to we need to we need to be clear on these kinds of distinctions. We come now to a third question about this matter of forgiveness. And it's namely this what is the relationship between My forgiveness of others and God's forgiveness of me. What's the relationship between the two? Now, if you know your Bible at all, you may have noticed, and you may have noticed in these these messages, that there are texts that uh, indicate there is a relationship between our forgiveness of others and God's forgiveness of us. Now, the question is, what exactly is the nature of that relationship? Well, I want us to see that the relationship between our forgiveness of others and God's forgiveness of us is twofold. Let's consider, first of all, our granting, first thing, our granting of forgiveness to others is inseparably connected to whether or not God has granted forgiveness to us. Now, let me establish first the fact of this connection. Turn over with me to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verse 12, this is part of what has commonly been called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching us how to pray, and he's giving us something of a skeleton outline to, that helps us to, that kind of directs us toward those categories of issues and thoughts that should really frame our prayers and guide our prayers. And in the fifth petition, he says, verse 12, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, do we not see there a connection between God's forgiveness of me and my forgiveness of others? Yes, we do. And Jesus then gives an extended comment on this connection down in verses 14 to 15. Now, he's finished the prayer, but he brings this matter up again to clarify what he just said in the fifth petition. Verses 14 to 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So Jesus makes it very clear that this relationship is one in which in some way our granting of forgiveness to others is connected with whether or not we are forgiven by God. There is a direct connection, an inseparable, unbreakable connection between these two things. That's very clear in these, te- these verses. Jesus says, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you refuse to forgive others, you will not be forgiven. And this is not the only place we see this connection. For example, we read in Mark 11, 25 to 26, Jesus said, And whenever you stand praying, If you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Perhaps you remember the parable Jesus told the unforgiving servant who owed a huge debt to his master, and he begged that he might be forgiven. His master canceled the debt. And then later he had a fellow servant who owed him a debt, a much smaller debt. That fellow servant came to him asking for forgiveness, and he refused to forgive him. And Jesus then said that this man would suffer consequences because of his unwillingness to forgive, right? Well, so much for the fact of this connection. Let's consider, secondly, the nature of it. And here's the big question, isn't it? What's the nature of the connection here? In exactly what way are these two things connected? And this is something that troubles people sometimes. Pastor, I thought when we put our trust in Christ, we are justified and forgiven of all our sins. And that forgiveness is all of grace. It's not something we merit by forgiving others or by any other good work. Well, that's true. That is absolutely 100% true. When we believe the gospel, we are forgiven on the basis of the perfect work and atoning blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that forgiveness extends to all of our sins, no matter how great they may be. Furthermore, that forgiveness is irrevocable. When God forgives, he no longer remembers our sin against us. He promises that their sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. Furthermore, the pardon that God gives when we are justified by faith in Christ applies to all sins, past, present, and future. You see, justification is an act of God. It's not a process. It's a once and for all declaration, a once and for all change of standing, and this once and for all justification includes the pardon of sin. Once and for all. All past sins, all present sins, all future sins. Therefore, the Scripture declares that the believer can never come under condemnation for sin. Romans eighty one. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans eight thirty three to thirty four. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? The believer stands justified. No sins are laid to his charge ever again with respect to his legal standing before God's law. As David said, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. The believer in Christ is a man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Having been justified, this is a completed act in the past when the sinner first believed. In that once and for all change of standing that occurred... Include the pardon of all our sins. But now, if all of that's true, praise God it is, what do we do with these words of our Lord here? And in these other places about forgiveness. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father Forgive your trespasses. Jesus seems to speak of forgiveness as something that we merit by forgiving others. Or we lose if we refuse to forgive others. So how are we to understand this? Have I lost you? You follow me? Okay. First of all, first of all, we need to understand the difference between judicial forgiveness and what we might call parental forgiveness forgiveness. Okay? Let me quote to you from our confession of faith. Paragraph 5 in the chapter on justification. Here we have a very wise, balanced statement. Okay? The confession says God does continue to forgive the sins of those that are justified. And although they can never fall from the state of justification, okay, yet they may by their sins fall under God's fatherly displeasure. And in that condition they have not usually the light of his countenance restored to them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, beg pardon, and renew their faith in repentance. You see, what, what's it the saying there? The, the believing sinner is justified. He's free forever from the judicial condemnation of sin. The judicial wrath of God does not rest upon any justified person and never will, and we've been adopted into the family of God so that God is our Father. But that doesn't mean the sins of believers are not still sins. They are still real sins that are offensive to our Heavenly Father and provoke His fatherly displeasure, and as such, they need His forgiveness. Think of it this way. Our position is no longer that of a condemned criminal in God's courtroom under his judicial wrath and condemned to hell for our sins. We've been delivered from condemnation. We have received judicial forgiveness for all of our sins, past, present, and future. God is now our Father. In the context of our relationship now, we might say, is the living room. The living room. We are his children. Living in his house. And that relationship will never change. As God says in Psalm 89, though he may if necessary visit the iniquities of his children with the rod or withdraw the sensible enjoyment of his smile, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him or allow my faithfulness to fail. Nevertheless, though this is true, still our sins against him are real sins. That in that living room context, as it were, need to be forgiven. And in that context, when we are conscious of having sinned against our heavenly father, that forgiveness only comes as we confess those sins and renew our repentance. And listen, one of the ways we can be guilty of sinning against our father is when we refuse to forgive our brother. And God says, Jesus says, if we do that, if we do not forgive our brother, his trespasses, our father will not forgive us. If we do not forgive others, then our sins that have provoked God's fatherly displeasure, and for which we are coming to him for forgiveness, will not be forgiven. That is, our father will be displeased with us. And we will not enjoy the comfort of our father's smile and blessing. And we continue in that way. We invite his chastening hand to fall upon us as his children. So we must understand this distinction between judicial forgiveness And parental forgiveness. Very, very important. Not just in this matter, but in your whole understanding of the Christian life. But then secondly, we must also understand that the faith by which we are justified, if it is genuine, it will evidence itself in the life of the believer. Those who are united to Christ, who believed upon him, have believed the gospel, it changes them. It affects them, and the Spirit comes to live within us. And one of the ways it will evidence itself is in this matter of forgiving others. So let me explain. A true child of God may struggle in this matter of forgiving someone. He may even refuse to forgive for a time, and God may have to discipline him and deal with him and bring him to convict him of this and bring him to repentance for it. But if we persist in refusing to forgive, Or if we persist in nursing unforgiving attitudes toward others, this is the characteristic pattern of our life and of our interpersonal relationships, and we never repent, then we evidence that we are not Christians at all, regardless of what we profess to be. You evidence that you are not a justified man, woman, boy, or girl, that you yourself are a stranger to the forgiveness of God, that you have not been forgiven. And on that great day of judgment, you will not be forgiven. In other words, if we think our sins are forgiven by God, and that we stand justified in His sight on the basis of the shed blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ, and yet we persistently and characteristically refuse to forgive others, we're deceiving ourselves. Think about it. Think about what you're saying when you say that you are a Christian. You're claiming to believe the gospel. What does that mean? Well, you're claiming that you recognize that you are a wretched sinner who deserves nothing from God but wrath and hell. And that in spite of what you are and what you deserve, God commended His love toward us. And that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. You profess to believe that. To be a man, woman, boy, or girl who has seen yourself to be lost and undone and has fled to Jesus Christ for mercy and God has forgiven you. But now how can you really believe that? Truly believe that? How can you have really experienced that mercy and grace of God in your own soul and still be a person who is marked by a vindictive, unforgiving attitude toward others? Well, the Scripture says that those two things do not go together. They cannot go together. The bottom line is, my friend, is this. If you refuse to forgive your brother and you continue in that way and you will not repent of this, then I must tell you in the name of God that you yourself are not forgiven. If a man say, I love God, hates his brother, he is a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? 1 John 4.20 Well, we're considering the question of the relationship between my forgiveness of others and uh, God's forgiveness of me. First, it's a relationship in which our granting of forgiveness to others is inseparably connected to whether or not God has granted forgiveness to us. But there's another feature of this relationship, and what is that? Well, Secondly, our granting of forgiveness to others is to be patterned after God's granting of forgiveness to us. To be patterned after it. Remember the parable in Matthew 18 of the unforgiving servant? The master said, Should not you also have had compassion on your fellow servant, even as I had pity on you? There's a comparison there. Our forgiveness of our brother is to be patterned after God's forgiveness of us. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 32. There Paul writes, <clears throat> And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. We are to imitate God in our moral behavior as his children, and to imitate Christ. Paul says in the next verse here, chapter 5, verse 1, "...therefore be imitators of God as dear children." Verse 2, "...and walk in love as Christ also loved us." And this is a, a familiar theme, as Christ also loved us. It's a familiar theme in the Bible. And here in verse 32, chapter 4, we're told that we are to imitate God specifically in this matter of forgiving others. So then the question becomes, how does God forgive sinners? How does he forgive? That's an important question. Why? Because the answer to that question, but with a few exceptions, will tell us the manner in which we are to forgive those who sin against us. Now, of course, uh, I say with, uh, with exceptions because there's, uh, there's involved in God's forgiveness the giving up of his son to die on the cross. In our place. Which forms the basis of his forgiveness. And why we also ought to forgive. And you and I can't imitate that. But we can to some degree. And we must by God's grace imitate the way he forgives us. Now we've already seen the essence of what forgiveness is. A promise. to not hold it against them. In the previous message. But now let's look more carefully. At some of the characteristics of this forgiveness. God gives to his children. That we are to imitate. First of all. God forgives fully. Fully. The scripture says he blots out our sin. That he casts our sin into the sea of his forgetfulness. That means God's not going to bring up that sin or those sins and use those sins to condemn us and to judge us and to be uh, the basis to punish and to damn us. He will never, never, never do that. When he forgives, he forgives fully. Well, in the same way, we are to fully forgive every sin committed against us when the person who sinned against us comes asking for that forgiveness, and that means you are to cast those sins behind your back. You're not to punish that person by continuing to bring them up again in a hurtful way. If they're ever brought up, it's only to be in a kind way, a helpful way, to give brotherly counsel, advice to help him overcome his sins, but you're not to keep casting into his face his sins or her sins. Now that applies to all of us, to all of our relationships, but let me make some specific applications to our marriages, for example. Let me address you dear wives, and this would apply to the men as well. A husband goes to his wife and he asks for forgiveness for something that he did or said. She says, yes, I forgive you. But then all day long, she punishes him by coldness and indifference and by being distant from him. Now, wives, I ask you, are you then truly forgiving your husband? Are you forgiving the way God has forgiven you? No. In this spirit of coldness and indifference and alienation toward your spouse, and then you say you've forgiven him, that's totally contrary to the spirit of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not to be tolerated in our marriage relationships. It's not to be allowed or permitted in our homes, whether it be the wife, the husband, the children. We should never allow this kind of thing in the church, in our relationships to one another as brothers and sisters. God forgives fully. God not only forgives fully, secondly, he forgives manifestly or uh, tangibly, evidently. And what I mean by that, God gives I mean, God gives tokens of his forgiveness. He shows us that he has indeed forgiven us. And likewise, our statement of forgiveness should be followed by tokens of genuine love, manifestations of that forgiveness. God gives us many sweet and precious promises in his word by which he assures us of his love and forgiveness. He gives us the Holy Spirit, the comforts of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, Testifying to us that He has forgiven us. He draws near in communion with us and He restores the joy of our salvation. Just look at the parable of the prodigal son. Here you are, and you say, You've forgiven your brother, you've forgiven your spouse, or whoever it may be. Yes, I forgive, but you're cold. Toward this person. You're distant. You don't want to talk to him or her. If you're exhorted about it. You have a thousand excuses. And you keep insisting that you have forgiven them. No you have not. Not like God has forgiven you. Your whole spirit is not in, cor- in accord. with the way God forgives us. Look at the parable of the prodigal son. The father forgives his sin. And what happens after that? Now You stay over you know in the the barn with the servants and maybe after a year or so you can come back into the house and we'll be, you know, I'll speak to you. No, how how does he do it? Is it distance? Coldness? Alienation? No, there's embracing. There's feasting. There's kissing. There are tangible manifestations that the Son is indeed fully and completely forgiven. God not only forgives fully and manifestly, Thirdly, God forgives frequently. Now, if you're here today and you're a Christian, you're a sensitive Christian, you know that you go to God often, frequently, repeatedly, confessing your sins and asking him for pardon. How frequently you return to that fountain that is open for sin and uncleanness. And you go there believing God's promise that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And God is faithful to that promise. Every time you go back in repentance and confession, without exception, you have been forgiven. God forgives frequently. And that's the manner in which you and I are to forgive those who sin against us. As we saw in a previous message, if your brother trespasses against you seven times in the day, seven times in the day returns saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Or if it's 70 times seven, Matthew 18. Why? Because this is the way God has forgiven you. Fully, manifestly, frequently. And then fourthly, God forgives freely. Freely. Isaiah 45, 25, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions. Why? Why? for my own name's sake. In other words, I don't forgive you, Christian, because there's something in you that is forgivable. I don't forgive you because you're worthy to be forgiven or because you have earned or merited that forgiveness. I forgive you freely. I forgive you for my own name's sake. I forgive you because I want to forgive you. Because I am a God who is gracious and compassionate and merciful. A God who delights to show mercy to the likes of unworthy sinners like you. I so delight in mercy that I gave up my very own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the death of the cross in your place so that I can righteously bestow that mercy upon you. I am a God who freely forgives all your iniquities. Now, do you see how that applies to our relationships to one another? Are we to base our forgiveness of others on something worthy in them? No. Well I forgive you because it's very rare that you ever sin against me, so I forgive you. Or since since you don't do it very often, or I'll forgive you if you promise you'll never do anything else to offend me again. Is that true forgiveness? No. Yes, but Pastor, are we not to require repentance, as you said earlier this week? Yes, but repentance does not merit God's forgiveness. Think about, does your repentance toward God merit forgiveness? No, it's the grace of God that even allows repentance. And even when our repentance is true, it's never as deep and as thorough as it ought to be. And though God does not forgive without repentance, He does not forgive on the basis of our repentance. He forgives on the basis of what Christ has done for us. Otherwise, we would never be forgiven for even our best repentance could be repented of. It's never what it ought to be and it has absolutely no merit to it. Think about it. As the man who goes to his creditor, truly sorry for his debt, asking that it please be canceled, does he merit the cancellation of his debt by doing that? No. Well, you see, that's how foolish it is to think that repentance merits forgiveness. Forgiveness it's not biblically bestowed without repentance. And that's true of our relationship to others and to one another. But repentance is not meritorious. And there's nothing good, nothing worthy, nothing deserving that you are to look for in that person who has sinned against you as the basis for which you forgive them. Having freely received from God, you are to freely give to your brother. Well... I hope this has been helpful. i'm sure I haven't answered every question, but i've had to 've had to be broad in some state uh, ways to kind of catch you, you know several of the more detailed questions that people have and some of you have had. I hope I've helped you, but I want to bring this to a focused conclusion now, and I want to say this: do we not see in all of this that if you would be a forgiving person toward others, it is absolutely vital that you understand and know? and are assured of God's love and forgiveness toward you. What is the most powerful motive to me to forgive other people? Well, the most powerful motive is I know I'm a wretched sinner. And it's God's love and mercy that he's shown toward me. What is does it be the pattern what is to be the manner of that forgiveness with which I forgive others? Is to be patterned after the manner in which God has forgiven me. What do you see? Then why it's so important that I experience and that I know and that I am assured of God's love and forgiveness toward me. If I am a stranger to the grace of God, if I'm not truly a Christian, it may very well show in the fact that I am a bitter person. And my life is marked by a persistent pattern of not forgiving others. I'm always mad at somebody. I'm always bitter at this person or at that person. But even if I am a Christian, yet if I don't truly grasp the fullness and the freeness of God's forgiveness to me as I ought, or if I don't have assurance of His love and forgiveness toward me, then this matter of forgiving others will very likely be an area I greatly struggle with. Now, this may not always be the case, but I believe it often is. And so I say to you, my friend, I ask you a question, my friend. This is a question, uh, the question, uh, Whitfield and Hal Harris and those guys during the Great Awakening, they would ask one another when they, when they met one another. I think the first thing, I believe it was the first thing Whitfield said to Hal Harris or the first thing Hal Harris said to Whitfield when they met. He said, do you know that your sins are forgiven? Underscoring, or the realities of the gospel, that you can know that. So I want to ask you that. My friend, are you forgiven? Do you know... That you are forgiven? Have you realized what it really means to be forgiven? The glory of just how wonderful God's forgiveness really is? He forgives fully. He forgives manifestly. He forgives frequently. He forgives freely. And let me add something else here. He is a God who is eager and ready to forgive. You are a God ready to pardon. Nehemiah 9.17, in the parable of the prodigal son, he's pictured as looking out and longing for the sinner's return and as running down the road to meet him and to embrace him when he does with kisses of mercy. There's no backwardness to forgive in God. There's no begrudged, half-hearted pardon. He is eager and ready to forgive sinners who come to him for mercy. My friend, have you realized that God is like that? Have you been forgiven? Do you know that you've been forgiven? Has God heard you as you've cast yourself upon Jesus Christ for mercy as your only hope and have cried to God to forgive your sins? Have you been heard? You say, well, how do I know? How do you know? By faith. By faith in the promise of God to all who come to him through Christ in that way. The promise of God is the taproot of assurance. Our hope is in no other save in thee. Our hope is built upon what? Thy promise free. That's how I know I've been forgiven. I look to Christ. Christ. And nothing else as my hope of acceptance. And I believe God's promise that when I come to Him confessing my sin and, and my need, that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness for we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous one and he has made propitiation for our sins my confidence for knowing I am forgiven is based upon what Christ has done and the free promise of God in him the promise of that God who cannot lie and when you know that God has freely forgiven you Then you'll find it, not always easy, but you'll find it much easier to forgive others. And certainly you can be confident, listen, you can be confident, if God commands you to forgive others, 70 times 7, that he's willing to forgive you. Isn't that wonderful? There is forgiveness with you. There's forgiveness with him that he may be feared. He will not withhold his mercy from you if you come to him by faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, let's pray together, and then we'll, we'll have a postlude, and then we'll sing a hymn, and then we have a baptism this morning, so we look forward to that. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. It's so powerful. It's just what we need to be reminded of. We pray you'd help us to take these things to heart and help us, Lord, that we would be people who not only profess the gospel, but who live it out and evidence it in our interpersonal relationships with others and with one another, particularly in this area of repenting of our sins, confessing our wrongs even to one another, but also being quick and ready to forgive. And we pray for those who are strangers to your forgiving grace. Lord, open their eyes to see that even this morning you stand like the prodigal son's father with your arms open, that if they come trusting in Christ and his work alone to you for mercy, that you will with all your heart, with great delight, receive them and save them. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you were edified by this message. For additional sermons, as well as information on giving to the ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church and on our current building project, you can visit us online at ebcfl.org. That's ebcfl.org.